Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Today's guest is an imposter syndrome coach with a background in applied psychology. She uses holistic approaches such as psychology strategies to help women break free from imposter syndrome and release the pressures to be perfect. Elevated Voices Podcast would like to give a warm welcome to Aisha Noel for joining the show. Thank you so much, Aisha, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for today. You are so welcome. I am honored to have you here. Imposter syndrome is very, very common. And literally, it dates back to 1978. But back then, it was coined around women who performed high-stress jobs. But current research shows that in today's society, imposter syndrome affects men, it affects women, it affects any and everybody in all walks of life. So thank you so much for all the work that you do. Aisha, tell us a little bit about what is imposter syndrome and what events contribute to your passion as an imposter syndrome coach. That's a great question. What I notice is that in my own experience and my own life as a Black woman coming from two Black parents, I had different thought patterns than other people. And one of the things that struck me the most was you have to work twice as hard to get the same as someone else. And then there was this other side of being me as a woman and looking into spaces where I didn't see people like me in my own walk of life. And eventually I noticed there's multiple things, of course, that happened. But a lot of things around the system, around our patterns, around our culture, and especially like the generational patterns that we get into affected a lot of how I looked at myself. And when I entered in different spaces, I thought, I don't deserve to be here. I am not good enough. Who am I to do this? That eventually, because I loved what you said, it's it goes in different classes. It goes in, in women and men. So it's not only around women, but we all have different things externally happening that influences imposter syndrome and influencing you feeling like I don't belong here. And then there's this eventually the internalization of all these external things that make you think, why am I even here? Why am I even trying? And I'm, I, I'm now talking about work, but the same thing happened for me in romantic relationships. And I hear this all aboard, especially when I talk to clients. It's like, it's not only, you know, in, in work, it's in relationships, wherever a relationship can be built, there you can find imposter syndrome as well. So with friendships and family as well. Thank you for that. The way that you describe imposter syndrome and how it started for you is very important because there are multiple causes of imposter syndrome, right? 
So you have the family upbringing aspect, you have the work school aspect, you have the personality aspect, and then the interpersonal aspect as well. And so when you look at it from the family upbringing aspect, it goes to, well, how, you know, how did your parents raise you, right? So what was some of the rules in the house? What were some of the things or expectations that were placed on you as a child? And then in return, how that developed into your personality. You know, some people are perfectionists. Some people have that low self-esteem or low um, self-efficacy. And then growing up, what does that look like in your relationships, right? And then also after you have developed so many relationships, how then will that show up at work? Yes. I love how you summarize this, first of all, but also how you touched on the family aspect and how the rules that are made in the house. But also sometimes we tend to forget about the silent rules, right? The things that your parents do that you subconsciously take as your own and all those generational patterns that you you take in and, and okay, I see them doing this. And they don't believe that they deserve this, or they don't believe that they are enough, or they don't believe this and this and this, and that that's how I see it through their actions. In my environment, I actually came in an environment where my parents said, you can do it all. I, I, I have very supportive parents, but the difference was, is that first of all, okay, yeah, mom, I believe you, uh, you say that because you love me, but you also have that, that different pattern in, in which you look at them and you're like, Okay, they say this, but when I come home and, you know, I have a quote unquote failure, they don't understand it. They um, make it a bit personal or when they fail themselves, they beat themselves up or when they are in places they're like, I don't belong here, but I do. I do my work or I don't have this, you know, this relationship with this one. And it doesn't feel like on the same level. I don't belong there. So the, the subconscious things that we pick up are so important because those actually determine as well as how long we're going to take this pattern going on. And again, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which you believe that you are not enough, even though you have the proof that you are totally capable. So it's not a disease again, but just to know that this pattern can go on because there's so many subconscious influences. Right. I love the fact that you highlighted that because it's a pattern and it starts internally. Yes, you have external things that impact that, right? Yes. Let's take a moment to talk about your self-talk schema. So if your self-talk, right, to yourself is always positive, you have supporting parents, you have a supporting network, then when things like a failure do occur, you can look at that failure, you know, yes, you might feel disappointed or you might feel hurt, right? But when you talk about it and when you, you know, review it and process it, you can say, you know what? Okay, I did fail at that point, but let's see what I can do to improve or what can I do to make some adjustments so, you know, I can get it right the next time, right? Or so I can be a success the next time. Yeah. But if you have that self-talk schema where 
it's surrounded by negativity. It can look like your parents not supporting you. It can look like being bullied at school. It can look like not having that promotion from your job. And all of those things are negative or you see them as failures, right? So you start internalizing that. So all of that unhealthy thinking begets a pattern of self-doubt, right? And then that self-doubt turns into either you are going to overachieve or you're going to procrastinate, right? Because you just so worried about, you know, your progress or your performance. Yes. Um, oh, you articulated so beautifully. And especially on the, on the last part where you say you can overwork or you can procrastinate. One thing that I noticed with imposter syndrome is that we tend to personalize it. So there's this identification with it. So not, okay, this went wrong, right? Okay, this project is a failure or this relationship just didn't work. No, I'm a failure, you know? I have all this thing, all these things are wrong with me. And we place ourselves in such a bubble, which makes it everything what we do is part of us. So, okay, for example, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this podcast, right? right? This podcast. And I stumble a few times. And now as, a, as me, as a person, I can see all these tiny things. But when you experience imposter syndrome, you just think I just sucked. Right. I failed. This podcast was so bad. And then you can tell me, right? Oh, but it was great. It was amazing. But you, as a person who experiences imposter syndrome, can look at it like, no, have you seen what I've seen? And when you have that part where you're like, okay, other people don't understand this, right? What I'm experiencing, I know I'm bad. I know I can't do this. I know I'm a failure. How hard is it then to just show up as yourself 100%? It is either you are going to overwork, right? Get every detail right. Know that you have every word to say, that you can do it all flawlessly, or you're going to not do it all. You're not going to try it all. You're going to say, yeah, I'm just lazy or I'm unmotivated. I'm just a failure. I won't do it right. And you won't do it at all. So there's definitely those two sides right? The over-functioning and the under-functioning part of imposter syndrome. And I love how you touch that on because that's something that people really tend to forget that imposter syndrome is not only about how it impacts, you know, your self-image and how you look at yourself, but it also impacts your actions and how you actually formulate and communicate that to the outer world. Exactly. Exactly. And you also, without even knowing, you actually touched on two of the unhealthy thinking styles that actually we as human beings display. So in the therapy world, we have 10 unhealthy thinking styles, personalizing. And the second one that you highlighted was discounting the positive. Personalizing, you said it so elegantly. I am internalizing everything and, you know, it's my fault. It's my fault, you know, so therefore I'm not good enough. Right. And then when I do excel or when I do well, I still discount all of the good that I do. And I'm pointing out, oh, well, my flaw here. Oh, I stumbled there. Oh, I could have did better. Oh, I didn't do good enough. So literally 
again, you know, these unhealthy ways of thinking, they tend to weigh on you. And then before you know it, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling Mm. with anxiety, you're struggling with low self-esteem. And then you're asking yourself, oh my gosh, well, how did I get to this point? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was fine at first, but it's like, you know, gosh, you know, what happened? And so I tell people, your thoughts happen. That part? Yep. Your thoughts happen. Because your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors, they're all connected. So when you have unhealthy thoughts, you know, sometimes those emotions surface and then you start to act on what you're feeling and what you're thinking. So, you know, all of that ties into, well, I'm not good enough Mm. because I feel this way. I'm acting this way. So it must be true. But we forget that that's just a habit and a habit can be changed, right? It it can be changed. Yes, (laughs) it can definitely be changed. And I love what you said there because some people have this misconception that imposter syndrome is something that is a lifelong thing. Imposter syndrome is, again, it's a pattern. And with every pattern, it can be broken, but we need to understand the trigger. We need to understand why it is there. And we need to understand how to tackle it every time we actually experience that trigger. You probably know this as a therapist as well, is exposure therapy. How the less you are exposed to the trigger, the less you notice it. But are you in an environment where there's a lot of triggers without even knowing that? All the time, you're going to experience that. The misconception also is that imposter syndrome is for everybody at the same level. You know, some people experience it very highly, experience it almost daily. And other people, well, they don't even notice it anymore. It's just normal. And it's, it's their way of life. But when it becomes a problem and what you said, it leads to depression or a burnout well, then you're already too late. Right, right. <laughs> right. Then you're already in that phase where you're like, I need to start way back, back to the beginning. So the best part is to work on imposter syndrome when you actually notice, okay, I'm noticing that people are telling me all these things. People are saying all these positive things to me and I can't see this. Right. I am at this place, you know, I'm in this loving relationship but I still feel like I'm not good enough for this relationship. I'm in this lovely job, but why am I actually having this job? I don't deserve this. When are they going to find out that I'm actually not as good as I am? Right. You know, or you're losing sleep because you're constantly thinking of, oh my God, (laughs) tomorrow is going to be that day. I have that presentation. Okay. Let me, let me work. Let me, let me do all these things because I don't want people to notice how I'm actually thinking about myself. I don't want them to notice that I'm actually not that good. Right. Thank you so much for highlighting some of the signs that people or individuals can exhibit when they are going through the phase of imposter syndrome. On the other hand, you basically identify different levels. And then you also talked about triggers, right? There are five types of imposter syndrome. Perfectionist, the superhero, the expert, the um, natural genius, and the soloist. And so I am going to take perfectionism 
and or the perfectionist. And I'm going to use that in the example that you gave with triggers. Triggers can be anything, guys. It can be people, places, things, situations, right? So I want you to think about yourself as as a child growing up. And in your household, mom or dad or whoever your caregiver may have been at that moment literally was overbearing. They pushed you too hard. And literally, it was like, you have to do better. You didn't try Mm -hmm. hard enough. And they keep pushing you and they keep pushing you. To the point where it's unhealthy, okay? To the point where it's unhealthy and you then internalize that as a child, you know, I have to succeed. I have to give my all. I have to push myself to that breaking point in order to get straight A's, in order to show Mm. or prove that I am perfect and I can do this, right? So then again, you know, you carry that into your adolescent, you carry that into your adulthood. And then again, you're developing into a perfectionist. And when you are a perfectionist in the imposter syndrome Rome, it's basically nothing is never good enough for you. You feel like you're never satisfied. And it's like, I need to do better. Even you have done an absolutely great job is still that whole notion of I need to do better, right? So when you are a superhero or the type of superhero in the imposter syndrome world, you feel inadequate. So you push yourself harder. And then the expert, they are always trying to learn new things, even though they may be highly skilled, but they underrate their expertise. And then the natural genius sets extensive goals. And when they don't meet those goals on the first try, they look at themselves as a failure. And then the soloist is the person who prefers to work alone because their self-worth is based off of what they can accomplish. And if they ask for help, it is seen as a, a weakness. It seems like they're incompetent. So those are all the types, because I know you talked about the levels. So those are the types of imposter syndromes that someone can experience. Yes, that's correct. And those types are, because sometimes people come to me and are like, okay, but I recognize myself and all of them. (laughs) Most of the times it is possible, right? It's possible that you recognize yourself and all of them, but it's all about how you measure success. And I love how you highlighted it per imposter type. For example, perfectionists see success as when they do it without any mistakes. And if you look at that, right, if that's how you measure success, what a weight, what a weight on your shoulders for everything you do. What a weight, because everything you do, you have to look at, okay, wait, okay, is this grammar thing? Okay right? Okay. How is my, how am I dressing? Is that okay? Like you're looking at all these factors because you don't want to make any mistakes. And that's the crazy part because mistakes happen if you want it or not, if you do it or not. Right. I had a client and she worked with someone and he delivered such a faulty job that every time that he came in and delivered that, she had to piggyback on that job. So eventually she was doing two jobs because he was making so many mistakes and she's not going to voice that out because she wants to shine and be like, 
okay, I'm the perfection. Everything needs to be perfect. And in the end, she was working so much, right? She was working so much instead of looking at, okay, wait, first of all, I'm noticing this is going wrong on your side, right? Fix it. Otherwise I can't do my job right. And I need this and this and this and this things. And that's also why it's so good to look at the soloist who doesn't ask for help, right? Who thinks they all need to do it themselves is when you are in that situation stating, you know, this is, this is not working and this is making my job difficult, but understanding, okay, if I ask that and if I say that and I want that help, we can eventually go to 80%, maybe not 100%, but 80% first. And then every time we make something a little bit better, that is improvement. Not when everything is already at 100%, because if everything is at 100%, where will be the growth? How will we grow if everything is perfect already? Exactly. I know for myself, I think that I dipped into all of those categories as well, (laughs) you know, and being a therapist and, you know, working for other companies and being a a Black therapist at that, you know, I'm like, you know, well, am I good enough, right? Maybe I need to be a perfectionist, you know, maybe I need to be that soloist because nobody understands my perspective, right? And if I fall short of what somebody else's expectation is, then I'm a failure. Yeah. And so, you know, I had to realize that, you know, that person's experiences are different from my experiences. We cannot compare the two. So therefore, how they look at me, how they see me, what they understand about me is just that it's their opinion, right? Yeah. And so I cannot mold myself or create myself into this person to meet their standards in that little box that they want to put me in because our experiences Mm. are not the same. And I think some people sometimes forget that, especially when you go and you're working in your career. Because again, everybody in my career field, for the most part, was Caucasian. You know, therapists, Mm. every therapist that you had was Caucasian up until recently where, you know, the diversity started to come about. And so, you know, I've been in the therapy game for, you know, a decade and a half and things have changed. And again, you know, I, I wanted to speak to that because imposter syndrome, it affects anybody. It affects yes. everybody. Yes. You know, so it's not that if you if you are feeling that way, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. First of all, thank you again for giving that whole personal experience, because that is what I experienced as well um, in where I'm from. I'm from the Netherlands. All these white therapists and psychologists, that's the first thing that you look at. So that's your first normal. And that's how you think, Okay, this is how it's supposed to be. But in that sense, there are other experiences and other privileges that you have the other advantages you have because you're a Black woman, because you live through a life as a Black woman. And I think for people who experience imposter syndrome, they need to know that. As a person themselves, 
you have all these unique experiences that you may look at sometimes as a disadvantage, but it could be your advantage. For me, I experienced imposter syndrome for 11 years. I experienced it in my childhood already. I was constantly actually in in such a depression mode that I felt numb. I felt numb. I couldn't touch my feelings anymore. Mm -hmm. So I needed to get out and understand, okay, but what is, who am I? That's the first thing. Who am I? Because imposter syndrome is, again, it's not a capability problem, right? Right. It's an identity problem. So you need to go back to the I. You need to go back to, okay, who am I? What are my advantages that I have that I might now see as a disadvantage? So first look at all the disadvantages that you think you have, and then go them to the other side and write there. Okay, but how could that be an advantage actually for me? How could this be actually a privilege? And how could I use that? And in what spaces should I surround myself in then? Because that's the thing. If you are in a space where you feel like an imposter, oftentimes that means that space is not safe for you yet to be fully yourself. And so you need to address, okay, what is that space? What is this environment? And if that is the environment where you don't feel safe yet, okay, where are other environments where I could feel safe? So for me, especially, I went to a Black therapist when I had problems because I felt safe there. Online, I have spaces, <laughs> right? Friends I follow that are Black entrepreneurs or people of color. And I work especially also with people of color. Again, I created that space. And it's not that you have to create only a bubble, right? Eventually, you do need to see other people and, and have that because that reference is also how you can element who am I and who are they. So it's good to have that. But first, you need to go in a space where you can be fully you, where you can be safe and explore yourself. And the last thing I do need you to do is to figure out how do you measure success and how do you measure failure? Are you the perfectionist where you think, okay, success is only good when I make no mistakes. That is success. Or are you maybe the expert where you think, I am only successful when I know everything about a subject? Or are you the superhero who has to do it all, everything? So you have to be the super mom, you have to be the super employer, the super friend, this and this. Is that then success? Find out your success and actually look at how is it holding you back, that way of looking at a success? And how could you actually? reframe that success and make it so that you allow yourself to grow. Exactly. I really appreciate you pointing out ways that individuals can cope with and manage imposter syndrome. You know, you said start with self first. Self-identity is very big. Yes. And in exploring your self-identity, acknowledge your feelings. Yeah. You know, acknowledge your thoughts. Create a supportive network that, you know, they support me. We talk, we support one another. And, you know, I know my place. I know that I am valuable and I am comfortable with self. Yeah. But then also being able to highlight what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses. Yeah. Because there's always room for improvement, right? For me, I am really good at being a therapist. And I know that not only because I have been told by 
the clients that I work with, this is a passion that I have. Yeah. And the experiences, my life experiences that I have, which contributes to making me a great clinician, no one can take that away from me. Yeah. Lastly, you basically also highlighted being able to develop a response plan, you know, because there is a difference between being reactive and being responsive or responding to the situation at hand. Because if you're responding to the situation at hand, you're able to, like you said, identify where the problem or the issue is, right? And then being able to pause think, and then execute whatever solution that's appropriate to to solving, you know, that problem. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And do, do you actually have one tip that people could maybe use? As you said, you were also in that space where you experienced it a bit. How did you handle that? I had to take a step back and I had to think about my purpose. So what I am trying to accomplish and then how I have been successful with accomplishing that particular thing in the past. And I then in return, I basically pulled on those experiences and I made sure that I put that in the forefront of my Mm -hmm. mind. And I said, you know, despite what somebody might say, despite the criticism that you may receive, remember you did this, this, and this. Just because I'm focusing on the positive, I didn't discount the criticism because people may see something different. And I will reflect on that to see how it fit into the bigger picture, my my bigger picture, my overall life. So that's basically the tip that I will give anybody. And Criticism, and I most of the time say feedback, especially feedback, right? Feedback is not always bad, but when you receive feedback, also ask, how did they get around that feedback? Because sometimes people would say something just to say something. Could you have explicit examples? And when you have that clarity without thinking for yourself, but letting the other person think, then, of course, precisely what you said you go forward and you can understand, okay, what does that say about me then afterwards? Exactly. And I like the way that you phrase that because it gives you time to reflect. Yes. It gives you time to reflect. And again, not all feedback, not all criticism is bad. And again, also ties into your personality. How do you receive feedback overall as a person? Yeah. Right. Because for me, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're going to give me feedback, I need it to be straight. Mm-hmm. Don't beat around the bush. Just give it to me straight. You know, whatever you see right or wrong. So therefore, I know then I can make changes. Yeah. Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. Because it, it it's a waste of time. <laughs> you know, just tell me <laughs> what it is that you want, what it is that I didn't or did do. So therefore, I'm aware of it, right? Because self-awareness, again, that key word, self, right? Yeah. Is important because if I'm not self-aware, then I cannot be self-conscious about it in order to change it. Yeah. Yeah. So Aisha, thank you so much for 
taking this opportunity to to share your experience with imposter syndrome. So if there are listeners who may be either struggling or want to know more about you or reach out to you for coaching, how can they reach you? Um, They can reach me through Instagram. On Instagram, Aisha Noel. I actually provide a six-month coaching program where I do accountability calls, where I help you, especially if you are someone who experiences imposter syndrome on the under-functioning side. So you're procrastinating a lot and you um, notice that you say that you're lazy, but you're not lazy. Come to me. (laughs) We can talk. Um, I have free connection calls where we can just see if you're a match. Well, listeners, there you have it. You can reach Aisha on Instagram. She is phenomenal, guys. She's amazing. So reach out to her. Don't be afraid. And thank you so much for being on Elevated Voices Podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.